Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and it makes for such depressing reading going through the papers uh, today with um, lots more commentary and photographs uh, coming out from Turkey and uh, Syria and search teams and emergency aid from all around the world now is pouring into Turkey and into Syria as rescues are working in absolutely freezing temperatures and they're digging through the remains of buildings to try to find as many people who may still be alive and of course the parts of Turkey and Syria are absolutely flattened by this earthquake that had a magnitude of 7.8 a really really devastating earthquake the death toll as of yesterday had gone above 7,000 and that's very much expected to rise as they start to dig through all of these buildings but with the damage spread over such a wide area this massive relief operation that's uh, underway is really struggling uh, to reach devastated towns they believe that there's areas that they haven't even been able to get to yet uh, where people are buried under piles of rubble of a building and the scale of the suffering and the uh, accompanying rescue effort was described yesterday as absolutely staggering. Uh, More than 8,000 people have already been pulled from debris. That was just in Turkey alone and about 380,000 people have taken refuge in government uh, shelters or in hotels. They're huddled, we're told, in shopping centres. They're in stadiums, they're in mosques and community centres while others simply couldn't find anywhere to find shelter and they've been told not to go anywhere near any of their b- the buildings that ha- have managed to stay standing. So many of those had to stay outside in freezing conditions. It was down like minus four degrees overnight. Um, many of them, if they were lucky enough to get blankets and they were gathered around fires that had been lit outside uh, to try to keep them warm. The Turkish president yesterday said 13 million of the country's 85 million people have been affected in some way and obviously they've declared a state of emergency in 10 provinces in Turkey in order to try to manage the response but to think 13 million people have been affected even though the World Health Organisation says that when they get out to more areas that figure could actually go to 23 million people have been uh, affected. Now there are teams from nearly 30 countries around the world either have already arrived in Turkey or are heading to Turkey 
Turkey are and some going to Syria. Promises of help has been flooding in and uh, Turkey made the decision yesterday that it's only allowing vehicles carrying aid to enter the worst hit provinces and that's obviously in order to try to speed up the effort. The United Nations said they're exploring all avenues to try to get supplies to the rebel-held northwestern area of Syria because, of course, that's an area where millions are already living in extreme poverty and they are already relying on humanitarian aid simply to survive. And that's an area that's been hit by the earthquakes of the UN, really tirelessly working to try to get aid into those people. And then, of course, the human stories, as always happens when there is a tragedy on this scale, the human stories start to come out and I think Sam Jones in the Irish Examiner sums it up when he says few images of the earthquakes that have devastated Turkey and Syria depict the agony quite as plainly as that of a father holding the hand of his dead daughter and the photograph is making the front page of the examiner it's on the front page of the times and this man is hunched in the rubble of what obviously was their former home i'm assuming some type of an apart apartment block and you can see him he's holding the hand of his 15 year old daughter um, who's dead she's lying on her bed underneath great big slabs of concrete and the smashed windows and broken bricks that was once the apartment block where they lived and just to look at that man it is just uh, incredible and then I suppose in some ways a story of hope but again a story filled with such deep deep sadness and that's the picture of a newborn baby girl and there's photographs of her being rescued from under a collapsed building in Syria where her mother gave birth while buried under the rubble. And obviously she went into labour in the wake of this devastating earthquake. The baby was found buried under the debris with her umbilical cord still connected to her mother. And unfortunately, her mother didn't survive. Her mother was found uh, dead. And footage shared uh, shows rescuers lifting this dust-covered newborn baby to uh, safety. The baby, by the way, was the only member of her family to survive the building collapse on Monday. And it's in the small town of Jideris, which is next to the Turkish border in Syria. Now, seemingly a female neighbour cut the cord and then she and others rushed the baby to a children's hospital in a nearby town where she was placed in an incubator. Uh, doctors say that the baby's body temperature had fallen. She had bruises, including a large one on her back, but they said she is in a stable condition and doctors uh, believed the baby had been born about three hours before she was found, uh, given how far her temperature had dropped. So she's seen as one of the miracles from all of the uh, rescue workers uh, who are working across um Turkey and Syria but what a sad life she has if she does manage to survive the sad life she has ahead of her on the day she was born to lose all of her family it's just so so uh, tragic uh, what is happening uh, to the people of Syria and uh, Turkey and uh, all we can do is uh, think about them and of course if anybody can uh, support I know the Red Cross are already looking for people 
um, to donate to them. They are trying to get as much help to the Turkish people and the Syrian people. And I saw the Turkish embassy yesterday because a lot of Turkish people and Syrian people living in this country. But I know uh, the Turkish people were rallying around and uh, bringing donations and items. And the Turkish embassy was open yesterday receiving donations. And obviously they'll uh, ship that all out. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. The number of people applying for one-off urgent or exceptional needs payment from the government when they find that they can't pay bills or they can't put food on the table has increased by 75%. That's according to figures obtained by Labour's Social Protection spokesperson and that's Deputy Sean Sherlock who joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Sean, do you know, has there ever been a time before when so many people are applying for these exceptional needs payments? No, I think we're in unprecedented territory here. Uh, when you look at the figures, uh, and just to explain to your listeners that there is what we call the Community Welfare uh, Officer Service, where you have a supplementary welfare allowance scheme operated by the Department of Social Protection, which allows people where if they... Uh, find that their household needs can't be met, you can go to a community welfare officer and you can apply for what we call a discretionary payment to cover maybe the cost of anything from household bills, child-related, clothing, funeral, general expenses, uh, even on things like illness, for instance, as well, and maybe urgent day-to-day needs. I, I think we, I think it's a, there are a lot of people out there who probably don't know about the service and I still think that we're Um, only scratching the surface because if you consider that the number of people that applied for such payments in 2021 was approximately, you know, 55,000 people, that number has skyrocketed up to 97,000 people in 2022. And the the, the amount of money that has been paid out by the state is 42 million in 2021, and that's gone up to 58 million. And I believe strongly that the cost of living crisis uh, has, is still having a big impact on people where uh, with now where you have mortgage interest, uh, relief, you know, a lack of mortgage interest relief uh, improvements, you have the cost of mortgages going up. I think people's household, household bills are being squeezed on the day-to-day stuff and I think that's causing an uptick then in demand for what we call these supplementary welfare allowance payments. But I still believe, having said all of that, that there are probably still a lot of people out there who probably could do with these payments. Well, I was, reading, I was reading only this morning, Bernardo's have uh, brought out research that they've commissioned uh, showing that the cost of living crisis is prompting large numbers of parents to skip meals or reduce their portion sizes so that their children have enough to eat. I mean, that's that's unreal that in 2023 we have people who could be living next door to you who are skipping a meal so that they can make sure that their children are, are fed. I mean, they are people that need to get exceptional needs payments. Absolutely. It, it doesn't surprise me at all, the Bernardo's research. And very often what you'll find is that they did the research of this nature comes out through organisations like Bernardo's. But I always say to people that the, the TDs are like the canaries in the coal mine because we, we see it probably a couple of months in advance of when, you know, RT covers stories of, of this nature, uh, you know, and where it hits the public uh, domain. So 
But I do believe that there should be no reason why uh, people should not be able to avail of these services operated by the uh, Department of Social Protection. But it is crazy that, you know, because of a you know, the, the, the fuel costs that people are now meeting. We're now facing a tsunami of increases in mortgage costs for people. And very often these are working people on fixed incomes where there may not be overtime, where household budgets are tightly managed, where, you know, you will have, you know, invariably there are, there are children involved where there are young kids maybe of school-going age. And they are the people that I worry about predominantly because they never really interact with the Department of Social Protection. But I'm trying to get the message out that schemes of this nature do exist precisely for people who are what I call squeezed working class people. And and when, when you got the figures from the Department of Social Protection, do you get the figures on how many were actually working families? We don't. They don't break down those figures uh, for us, Patricia. What we do is we get the total number of, of people who applied and were, you know, in receipt of payments. So, for instance, this year it's 97, or sorry, 2022, it's 97,000 people. Now, the fact that 97,000 people in a country like Ireland had to go to the Department of Social Protection to get a subsistence payment, you know, on the things that I mentioned earlier, like, you know, for household bills, for, you know, general expenses, for clothing expenses, for, you know, energy bills and so on and so forth. A washing machine breaks down. I mean, if you're living on a very tight budget and a washing machine breaks down, you have no way of getting another washing machine. But that's exactly something like you can go and and, uh, under these these special needs payments. Uh, Absolutely. It's designed to have discretion involved. Now, a community welfare officer, if the system is working correctly, the community welfare officer, certainly when I started first in politics, had a lot of local discretion. Now, I believe, it's a a bit of an aside to what we're saying here, I believe that the department is trying to curtail uh, the number of payments that it's making because it's putting a lot of strictures now on community welfare officers who knew their people in their local communities and, and knew whether a case was genuine or not and had the discretion to provide for a payment to fix that washing machine that you're talking about or if the the the, the oil burner you know the the furnace you know broke down that there was a repair job that needed it's those types of costs that are what we call incidental costs they happen suddenly but all of a sudden there's no money in the kitty to be able to meet those costs of repairs for instance and because people quite simply don't have the money and so i think what we what we have to do is to ensure that people know in the first instance, that these schemes exist, and particularly for working families, low-paid working families, they're the people I feel who probably don't know that such schemes exist, and you know they're the people that I feel most strongly should be eligible for these. And I think the reason that we've gone from 55,000 people applying and being paid out in 2021 to uh, 97,000 must mean that more and more working people are coming in to look for. Uh, these payments and and that's a good thing albeit it shouldn't be happening in a perfect world because there should be enough money coming in based on wages to pay people's uh, you know household costs but that that's a story that you know really signifies that the cost of living crisis is still ongoing yeah and uh, 
how easy are they to um, access? I mean, I remember St. Vincent de Paul at the back end of last year uh, saying that they were dealing with people who needed help with heating and with food um, uh, bills and that when they were applying that in some cases there was delays. Some of them could be up to 12 weeks. I mean, if we've got a cold snap and somebody's looking for help with heating, a 12-week wait is of no use to them. No, and the, the the point of contact now is through a free phone number through the Department of Social Protection, and most people will have access to, uh, you know, uh, the internet. Most people will be able to go through that. But what we are finding is that they're increasingly centralising that service, and that's what I worry about because it was always the case that you could meet your local community welfare officer in your own local community. Your local community welfare officer knew you, knew your kith and kin. Uh, you know, if you were missing a, a document, they would say, go home and come back to me tomorrow with the missing document, and I'll put you into payment once you do that. Now what's happening is you have this creeping centralization of services where people are interfacing with somebody on the phone, if that's not a contradiction in terms. They're not actually meeting people face-to-face, mm. but they're interacting, I should say, is with people on phones. Because they closed they closed some of the offices, didn't they? I'm sure the so people in, in Formoy or Mitchellstown, there was an office there and it's gone. Yeah, you have to go to your local intro office now, yeah, which is yeah. in, in, in Mitchellstown's case, it's, it's Formoy. Formoy now, most, yeah. people, most people have access to, you know, tr- transport. Uh, but what I, what I, I suppose, I'm... What I'm giving out about, if I could use that expression, Patricia, is the fact that if you had the service available to people in their own local community, then it's more likely that more people will avail of the service. You can you can always filter out what we might call the hardy perennials, uh, you know, and and filter for uh, you know very genuine cases. But what we want to see, what I would like to see, is working families who are finding it very difficult at the moment because of the cost of fuel and also because of the cost of their mortgages to start coming to the community welfare officer or to the Department of Social Protection to see if they may be eligible for these payments because the probability is that they may be because the discretionary element on the part of the decision maker is still there albeit it is diminishing and we're very lucky I think that in we have very good community welfare officers in the county of Cork. We have very good people who are very sympathetic and absolutely, empathetic. Absolutely, because I know I know through this programme when, when people would contact us here at the radio station, we would always point them in the direction of community welfare officer and inevitably they get sorted out. But I mean, would you be worried to hear from MABS, the Money Advice and Budgeting Service, they say they now are starting to see more and more people depending on, on credit and depending on things like credit cards to buy essential everyday items. Yeah, and you see, you have to take the evidence that organisations like MAB and and Barnardo's and St. Vincent de Paul and Age Action Ireland is another organisation that I would have a lot of contact with. You know, they're telling us that people right across the ages and right across the demographics where there is a fixed income coming into a house, the fixed income is not meeting the real-time costs of living. So if you have an increase, a spike upwards in energy costs, if you have a spike upward in food costs, and food inflation is, is one of the big ones as well. And we're seeing that now being tracked uh, in, in the numbers as well, where the increase between 2021 and 2022, you know, for, for, for household bills or general bills is increasing. And you'd extrapolate from that then that a lot of that would be down to food costs as well. So where we 
see that happening, it means then that the fixed incomes of people is not enough to meet their real-time costs. So I think the next budget is going to have to look at that again. Mm. Uh, and they're going to have to look at food price inflation as well. Well, the, I think Kandar, that's the, the, the Kandar, the supermarket survey was out yesterday and they're reckoning across this year, just on a normal, you know, a, a family, uh, it'll be about €1,100 uh, Euro extra for this year just on the food bill. And I mean, if you're, if you're on a fixed income, you don't have that €1,100. No, and the extraordinary thing about that research is that that's industry research. So that is yeah. industry itself coming up that's with the research. Yeah. So it's not a, a non-governmental organisation or a voluntary body. So you can you can absolutely take the veracity of that because that's their, they literally go in and map the, the, the food costs as they rise on the shelves. Yeah. So I think government is going to have to take uh, this seriously in respect of what it does to make the cost of living crisis uh, it has to remain high on the agenda. I worry when I hear uh, the Taoiseach saying that we need to taper back uh, on the supports for the cost of living. He has said that in the last few weeks. Which and, is Eamon Ro- and Eamon Ryan has been saying something similar. Exactly. So government is saying basically we're going to taper down the supports that we're giving. Our, our argument would be, no, there are still a lot of working people out there who need these supports uh, and you know they need to be maintained. And remember... If you've paid your tax and you're a working person, you know, you're only trying to claw back that which you've already paid anyway in taxation. Yeah, this as, isn't as this isn't this you. isn't charity. So your message to charity. people today, Sean, who are struggling, your message is interact with your community welfare officer and seek out some of these uh, one off origin and exception needs payments. That's right. Go to the Department of Social Protection website, look for the supplementary welfare loan scheme, or if you Google additional needs payments, uh, you know, then a lot of people should be able to uh, follow the pathways from there. But then obviously they can contact people like myself, local TD councillor, and, and we're always happy to help people. Yeah. Get some and you don't have to be on a social welfare payment. This is for no. everyone. That's the message. OK, Absolutely. listen, Sean, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Cork East uh, Labour uh, Dáil Deputy and he is Labour's Social Protection Spokesman. That's uh, Deputy Sean Sherlock. Now, several companies in the industrial district of Little Island have threatened to withhold their commercial rates and carry out work themselves on crumbling roads in their area. To chat about just how bad it is, I'm joined by Michael Mulcahy and Michael is Chief Executive of the Little Island Business Association. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And lovely to chat with you. Now, you've got some roads in pristine condition. And actually, I was in uh, Little Island at the weekend. I was on my way to East Cork uh, for a christening and we stopped off for coffees on the way. And I did notice like some areas are absolutely in pristine condition, but it's the older areas that are literally falling apart. Isn't that the case? Yes, indeed. Well, firstly, Little Island is um, an area where we have a 1,000 residents, approximately. We have a 1,000 companies. We have 18,000 people that live, work and visit the area every day. And it's the largest business district in uh, Ireland South and the largest business district in Cork. So we have two parts to it, the old part and the new part. The new part is absolutely fantastic. The infrastructure there is really good. The new uh, Dunkettle interchange is even going to make it even better. And lots of money has been spent on the infrastructure in that part of the island over the last 10 to 12 years. But the older part of the island dates back to about 60 years. And the issue here relates to a lot of roads within business parks. 
those business parks are not, the roads are not in the ownership of uh, Cork County Council because a road uh, to be vested in Cork County Council has to be in pristine condition before they can take it in charge. All these roads within the business parks are within management companies, many of them that are in liquidation, many of them that have been disbanded for many years. So the ownership of the roads is, is in question. And until the matter can be resolved in some way, Cork County Council, to be very fair to them, can't do anything. Their hands are absolutely tied because of the legal position here. So we have certain roads in the area. One of them is in Courtstown, which is down to Harbour Point, where some of the big, uh, like Easy Living, have their big distribution warehouse down there for the collection of furniture. Lot Valley Maloo Foods have their plants there. Lots of, of, of traffic on that particular road. And it's one of the worst roads, uh, certainly in Cork. Um, we've seen over the last number of years that the sinkhole that has opened up there one particular employee's car got stuck in it. She had to get a tow truck to get the car out. The tow truck got stuck. Had oh to get my a larger God. tow truck to get the tow truck out. That's Goodness me. And it's it's so, almost like, Michael, you've become a, a, nearly a victim of your own success in that, you know, you're saying it's the it's, it's now the biggest industrial site outside of uh, Dublin. So those roads are taking traffic that they're just they not are. able to take. Yes. And again, you know, we have major global companies like Pepsi, Pfizer, Lilly, Janssen, uh, our own indigenous companies like Leia Healthcare have their corporate headquarters here. Lots of, of local and global companies here. But again, the older part of the island is a mix of um, heavy industrial, which would also account for a lot of large trucks which are distribution, coming to distribution centres there. So the volume of, of, of heavy trucks is quite substantial. But it's the infrastructure that's dating back 60 years that has not been dealt with. And again, it's, you know, and where it pains to point out, this is really not the fault of Cork County Council. You know, very often it's, it's easy for all of us to lay blame perhaps at the local authority's door on, on, on this one. And we have a very good working relationship with Cork County Council. They generate about 12 million euros a year in rates out of our area now. So we would want to have a good relationship mm. with them on that basis yeah so, but and, and, and if you have these crumbling roads is it stopping some of the businesses from expanding yes it is and it's also uh, stopping some of the businesses from attracting employees who have to drive down these roads with their private cars and risk burst tires uh, damaged rims which we have seen hundreds of in the last couple of years and I'm talking about hundreds here and that's not so, fair that's not fair on somebody going to work and it actually ends up costing no, them not. to go to work so so what has happened here is over the, the last number of years um, the business community have taken it upon themselves to have to fill in the potholes now there's a big issue with this because there's a legal question over this as well if you take it upon yourself to do anything on a road that you do not own or have a legal entitlement to you are putting yourself or mm. your company at risk by doing that. But the businesses have had no choice. Um, Irish Water have a role to play in this particular road in Courtstown as well. And there's a lot of, of mixed elements in here. But the bigger issue we're talking about is lots of different areas within Little Island that need to have this issue addressed. So one of the, one of the, the, the models that we're suggesting here that has to be looked at between public representatives, the local authority, and ourselves, the business community, is that if we can't find a quick resolution to this and we end up with roads sinking, 
or we end up with sinkholes opening up and the businesses not being able to access their premises or employees not being able to get to work, then the business community are prepared to step in and they're prepared to fund the refurbishment of the roads to international standards, but they're not willing to pay for all that themselves when they're paying 12 million euros a year in rates. So what they are saying is that they will hold back a portion of their rates until such time as either the, the state, Irish Water, or the local authority, whoever is ultimately going to be responsible for this, will refund them their money. But they're willing to help. So really what we have to do is come together as public representatives, local authority, business community, and residential community who, who have an element here. Because again, we have a thousand residents who live in this lovely area of Little Island, and they're impacted by this as well. So we're, we're opening um, a discussion on all of this to try and find a solution to it. Uh, unfortunately, it's a 60-year-old problem. It's going to take a little bit of time to find a solution to it. But, but we're adamant that with discussion and dialogue between all of us, that we can find a resolution, hopefully, to it. Any idea on what it would cost to bring all the affected roads up to, uh, up to, up to the, the standard that you see in other parts of Little Island? Yes, we, we estimate from the costings that we have done that it's about 20 million euros. So it's not insignificant, yeah, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, now, bear in mind as well that over the, the last 10 years, the, the, the businesses have contributed over 100 million euros in commercial rates. We have got some fantastic infrastructure um, uh, developed in the area. You know, we're one of the only areas that have, has a four lane flyover mm. coming into Little Island. We had terrible traffic problems. Many people didn't want to come to Little Island after two or three o'clock in the afternoon, seven or eight years ago, because they couldn't get out of it. Now we have no issue with traffic whatsoever coming in. And the new Duncattle interchange is even showing that some of the um, the points that have been opened on that already are benefiting Little Island already. When that's completed in 2024, we will see a huge benefit for the overall Little Island area. And in addition to that, we have an additional 500 acres of land in Little Island that developers are vying uh, for at the moment. They're looking at the prospects there, but we will need new access points coming into Little Island. But I suppose the key point here is you have old and new. Yeah. Everybody lo likes looking after the new because it's easier to manage. But you also have to look after the old uh, parts of an area like Little Island and bring them up to a modern day standard. But unfortunately, that costs an awful lot more money than it does for a, a newer infrastructure to be looked after. And you have to find a new way of doing it. So in the time ahead, we will be working with all the parties involved here from public representatives to the business community, to the local authority, to the state. And we most likely will have to ask the state to step in and help fund this for Cork County Council and help allow Cork County Council to take some of these roads in charge so that they're not breaching the law by doing so. That, yeah. that would seem to be how we're going to have to do yeah, it. But again, because yeah. I'm assuming as well, thing. Michael, it must be embarrassing for some of the companies down there if they have to bring customers to, to, to the area. I think, God, if you were flying in somebody from overseas and you were bringing them to your headquarters and road conditions like that must be really embarrassing. Well, you know, we have companies here that are that are that are multi-billion-dollar companies globally in value. The, those they're they're senior people flying on private jets into Cork Airport. If they fly to Dublin, they they commute by helicopter to Cork Airport, and then they come by car to Little Island to see their plants. 
And as you can imagine, bringing them along roads like this um, really opens up a discussion for them. Uh, and, and one particular company took the view, why did we invest here? Who signed off on this? So that's not good for our reputation. We have a new business park, uh, again, on this this affected Courtstown uh, Harbour Point Road called Harbour Gate Business Park. Over 200,000 square feet of uh, new uh, development is being built there at the moment. Much of it is finished. And they're looking for tenants and owners for those buildings. They're bringing international clients in and they're having to bring them down through these potholes. And the drivers are having to avoid the potholes so that the people aren't thrown about in the back of the car. Goodness me, goodness me. And, to, and so I think the, the, the story about the yeah, absolutely and the story about the the poor old uh, worker getting stuck and then the tow truck getting stuck and another tow truck having to come it's it's incredible yeah. it's like something you'd see in a, in a comedy movie. Uh, Michael, well, listen, sorry, yes, yes, you you take even Ballymaloo Foods and all of their glass bottles that the, that their produce is produced in. Yeah, the lorries bringing those in. They've had so many breakages of pallets of their glass bottles with the lorries coming down the road. You know, another case in point of how difficult it is to do business here. And, and But again, let's look at the positive here. We know what the problem is. We believe we can find a solution to it. And we're, we're adamant that we're going to bring all parties together. So we'll keep in touch with you. Please do. Hopefully Please do. At, at, at a future date, we will have a better news story on this. OK, uh, we, find we will follow this closely. Michael, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And Thank thanks for joining much. us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Michael Mulcahy, who is the chief executive of the Little Island uh, Business Association. On uh, potholes, uh, listener says, Patricia, I know a fella who complained to the council about a pothole outside his house and they weren't fixing it. So he decided to take his own initiative. He bought a bag of cement and mixed the concrete and he filled it in. The council came and told him he had to remove it. He said no. In the end, the council workers had to remove it and they filled it in with tar and uh, chip. Elizabeth listening uh, to my chat with Michael Mulcahy of the Little Island Business Association says, Patricia, my niece has a business in Harbour Point, which is one of the areas that Michael mentioned this morning. It's called Roots Kitchen. The road is a nightmare for her to get to her business and that is shocking and these are people that are paying rates the same as everybody else. We'll keep an eye on what happens with this particular story because it is the older part, it's just the ownership of the road uh, is causing the problem and who's responsible for repairing roads that are 60 years old and it sounds like little or no maintenance has been done in the 60 years. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. Uh, don't forget you're still looking out for Rod Stewart track when I play a Rod Stewart track text or WhatsApp 086 to 103 103 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Rod live at the marquee on the 20th of June. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The night of Thursday, the uh, is it a third Tuesday, the twentieth of June, when Rod Stewart will play live at the Marquee tomorrow morning. Tickets go on sale at Ticketmaster.ie. But we have the first of the tickets to give away free. And joining me on the line, Linda O'Reardon in Mayfield. Good morning to you, Linda. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. And how are you today? I'm not too bad. Would you like to go along to see Rod oh, Stewart? Oh, absolutely. Be amazing. I missed him last time. Did you? And are you, and have you been to Live at the Marquee before? I have. Yeah, it's a great venue, isn't it? 
fantastic, yeah. fantastic. And I know it's for last year now on this um, this current um, boss where it'll end up next year, which we'll see. Yeah, well, there's talks that it might be there again next <coughs> year. I think they're still holding out it'll be there next year. Anyway, Hopefully. let's see if you can win the tickets. You have a fairly simple question uh, to answer. We need you okay. to finish the song t- title. Maggie, is it A, Mary or B, May? May. Maggie May, well done. That's a pair of tickets to you. Now, who would you bring with you? My mom, would you? my mom Connie. Connie, and is Connie a fan of of oh, your? T- love, love them. Yeah, I think the one thing, and and yesterday our our listener as well, it was her her dad was the big Rod Stewart fan. I think the one thing about Rod Stewart because he's been singing songs for so long, I think it's over twenty five million records and singles. Whether you're a fan or not, you we all know a lot of his songs. We do because they're all they're always on there a lot of airplay and yeah. I think you know I think I definitely think I like that when he brought that song of Grace it oh. kind of revived him a bit. That was yeah, that's sort of, and I'm sure he's going to sing that. I mean, that was oh, just makes to, the, to, the, the hair stand up in the back, back yeah. of your neck. And there's songs we all grew up with as well. So listen, enjoy it along with your your lovely mum, Con. Connie, Connie, Connie. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> thank congratulations you, to you. Bye-bye. Thank bye, you bye, so bye. much. Thank you. Okay, that's Linda O'Riordan in Mayfield, our latest winner of tickets to go along and see Rod Stewart live at the Marquee. Another pair of tickets to give away tomorrow. And again, as uh, to today, you'll be listening out for a Rod Stewart track for your chance to win. But you've got to get texting and WhatsApping immediately to 086 103. Tickets on sale tomorrow morning at 9am, ticketmaster.ie. A couple of people are looking for a bit of help with lost items. Let me give a quick mention of these uh, for fear that uh, I lose. I forget to uh, to mention them. Irene was on. She lost a door key on Sunday uh, in Farron Woods. Now, she said it might be on the road around or on the way into Farron Woods. There is a super value and a Dunn's tag, you know, the the loyalty cards on it and there's a pink key ring desperate to get it back it is a door key just one key on it pink key ring with the super value and a Dunn's loyalty card if anybody picked that up can you contact us here please because we've got all of Irene's details and then there was a text in from somebody to say Patricia don't know if you can help or not and I know this is a little bit of a long shop shot but I'm hoping one of your many many listeners may be able to help out here my 13 year old grandson lost his mobile phone yesterday on the 8 o'clock Mallow to Galway bus now there was a tracker on it but it looks like the battery must have died and therefore they can't trace where the phone is he's absolutely devastated now there's a reason why he's so devastated that he's lost this particular phone there are messages and photographs on the phone from his other granny who sadly was only buried last week now they've tried to contact bus Aaron but they're not getting any uh, reply so they've asked us uh, to put a shout out and you, we'll make a little boy, she said, very happy if we can find this phone. So it was the Mallow to Galway bus yesterday and uh, we have this listener's contact details if anybody picked up that phone and I'll see if uh, John Paul might have a contact for bus Aaron to see if we can get through to bus Aaron because you know honest people if somebody was on a bus and you know they sat down on the seat because obviously what happened it fell out of the young young lad's pocket and you know the first thing I would do is hand it into the bus driver so we'll see if we can get onto bus Aaron for you as well Uh, hopefully some honest person might have handed it in but failing that maybe somebody's brought it home and is trying to work out who owns the phone 
phone, of course, if the battery has died, they can't get any of the contact information on it to work out who owns the phone. So if anybody can help us there, uh, please c- contact us at 0818103103. Well, I was speaking about special needs and urgent needs payments. Uh, we started the show with it with uh, Sean Sherlock. And the reason we spoke about it was because the it's a 75% increase year on year between 2021 and 2022. The amount of people who went to community welfare officers saying, I need help and there's a huge array of things that you, you can get help with on the urgent needs payments and I do think Sean is right though and one of the main reasons that he wants to go public on the figures that he got from the department was he feels there are a lot more people who are not aware of these special needs and urgent exceptional needs payments I think they're called and urgent needs uh, payments and he reckons there are a lot of people who are really really struggling at the moment and they're into you know the, as, he, as he made the point particularly people that are working you pay your taxes you're paying your dues and if you fall on hard times and something has happened in the household that you simply can't cover the cost of that's when you go to the community welfare officer and that's where you look for help it isn't charity it is a chance that it's like getting your own money uh, back and and I do think he's right I do think there's a lot more people particularly the working poor who really are uh, struggling and are not aware of the social welfare benefits that are there that can help them uh, as well and as I say it, it, it very much hit me this morning when I was reading about the Bernardo's survey. I know I was starting to jump on in the office and we are hoping to speak with the Bernardo's maybe tomorrow on the programme about their latest survey out showing, you know, how the number of parents that are skipping meals are they reducing their own portion sizes just to make sure that their children can be fed. But when you dig down into the research, research the parents themselves are saying there are days of the week when there simply isn't enough food to feed the children. I mean, that's just absolutely shocking. But on those urgent needs and those exceptional needs payments. Rita Moy says, I do feel so many people are struggling at the moment and while these payments are welcome, there are a lot of people Rita feels are simply too proud to go and ask for help. And I, God, I hope that that's not the reason why we have parents going hungry is because they're too proud to ask for the bit of help. That And, you know, you only, it's like when we, we say to people, reach out to the societies of Vincent uh, de Paul, you might need help this year, but then next year you might be in a better position and you'll be able to not almost pay them back but you'll be able to donate when times are better and then help people who are in a need. Uh, Martina is in Carrick Tuhill. She said, I feel so many families who are living wage packet to wage packet. That is their existence at the moment, particularly people who might have a couple of children. They could even have good jobs, but they're commuting to work. They've got the cost of childcare. Mortgage repayments are going on the increase and it is just becoming very, very tough. Martina reckons it is the working middle income earners who, again, are the ones being hit by everything. Peter in Bandon says this is on help with payments and the cost of fuel. Listening to Sean Sherlock this morning, yet he says we have the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, saying fuel is expected to go up at the end of the month. And Peter reckons that Eamon Ryan was more or less blaming civil servants as it's they, their wages have to be paid. And I don't know if I heard Eamon Ryan uh, saying that. But anyway, if he did, Peter's saying it's creating a divide in society between the uh, workers, public sector and private sector uh, workers. Why is the working man being hit again? 
and again and again, particularly those that have to commute to work with high fuel costs, petrol and diesel, certainly back on the increase as well. And you can see that every time you pass in a garage, you can see the prices starting to clock up on the signs that they have outside uh, the garage. And then another listener went to the community community welfare officer because her washing machine broke down and you know, living on social welfare, didn't have the means, didn't have savings to go out and buy a new washing machine. So she applied to the community welfare officer, explained what had happened. And she said, I was given 200 euros. She said, it's disgraceful. The washing machine I wanted to purchase was 490 euro. At the end of the day, I never got the washing machine. So they gave two. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, I mean, I assume that when you would apply, you would say, this is the washing machine I want to buy. This is the cost of it. And they would get, they, they would cover the cost. But anyway, this list are not happy. You should have appealed that uh, decision gone back again and said what well, you know I, I, um, and particularly if you can't buy a washing machine for 200 euro I would have gone back and appealed now yesterday on the programme we were speaking about uh, the home care assistance home helps as uh, people often refer to them and one of the points that we made when we were talking about uh, home helps one of the issues that was addressed was the fact that they're not paid uh, very well it was um, who were we speaking it was Michael Moynihan uh, oh yeah Michael Moynihan brought up the issue we were speaking with one listener, Helen, who was a home help herself. And she was just making the point that because, you know, they're not paid very well. And because of that, some people almost look their look their noses down on them, you know, and we had listeners saying that some of the families kind of take them for granted. Not all. Many people, God, if they can get a home help through the door, um, they're, they're so appreciative. But you have others who are asking them to do jobs that really they shouldn't be asked uh, to do. And there's almost this for some people, they look their noses down on them, which is what it, it certainly shouldn't be, particularly now the the home care assistants are so highly trained and they've all these courses that they have to do well that prompted Kay to contact to say she listened with interest about that the home helps and she said she would like to raise the issue of cleaners and how cleaners can be treated by some companies now Kay works as a cleaner and she said the way they are spoken to by supervisors and she said some companies then will expect one cleaner to go in and clean an office block it can be an office block on two floors you have to move chairs tables etc and you're expected to do both floors of the office in three hours and you're expected to do that on your own. She said, I feel cleaners are another part of the working society that are very much taken for granted and they get spoken to so badly by their supervisors almost, you know, they're looking their nose down on them, which is absolutely shameful because uh, we've always needed cleaners and cleaners are, you know, it's a profession that people decide to go into and where would we be without cleaners if we didn't have people coming in and cleaning office and cleaning hospitals, etc. So it, it saddens me to think that anybody would look their noses down at you or would treat you badly. But if you can't get the work done, it's back to your supervisor. You should be going saying this office block is expecting too much in the period of time that I have. But then if you've been spoken to uh, like that by a supervisor, uh, I don't, a change of company, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but shocking to hear that, Kay, for sure. Thank you for sharing that with us to 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An assistant greenkeeper is required for Bandon Golf Club. You need to send a CV with a cover letter to inquiries at bandongolfclub.com. The Wild Thyme Restaurant, that's in Butterfront, they're looking for a part-time chef for 12 to 18 hours per week. CVs and a cover letter, please, to emma.quaid 
at 2005 at hotmail.com. A person wanted for fitting blinds that's in the Dunmanway area, 086 87 56867. And Longueville House Hotel in Mallow, they've got vacancies for a breakfast cook. They're also looking for a waiter or waitress for a restaurant team leader role. CVs please to info at longevillehouse.ie. You'll find all the details and many more job opportunities if you go online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, according to a Cyber Safe Kids survey, almost a quarter of 8 to 12 year olds have viewed online content that they don't want their parents to know about. So, to discuss a new online safety parental awareness campaign, I'm joined by Philip Arneal, who is Head of Education and Innovation at Cyber Safe kids. Good morning to you, Philip. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. Well, and thank you for joining us. Do do mums and dads, Philip, very much need to approach parenting children online in the same way that we approach parenting offline? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's really what the inspiration for the same rules apply campaign. That's exactly why we've called it that. We, we're really calling on, on people to think about you know, using the exact same rules that you use in the offline world, in the online world. So to use a really blunt example, you know, you wouldn't send your child off to the swimming pool and say, well, you know, go teach yourself to swim. But quite often we do allow this unsupervised access to the online world. And, you know, obviously both of those scenarios come with with harms and risks. And so it's really, really important to sort of break down this kind of arbitrary separation of it's offline or it's not the real world. You know, it, it is the real world for children and young people. And so when it comes to their online lives, we've got to look at using those exact same rules. And I mean, and your survey is quite young children, eight, eight to 12 year olds. Did you find that many children are allowed to go online whenever they want? Absolutely, yes. I mean, almost a third of the children. So we surveyed the 1,600 eight to 12 year olds. This is just so far in this academic year up to the end of January and 30% of them said that they basically don't have any rules about going online. You know, whenever they want to go on, they can go on. And, you know, part of our Same Rules Apply campaign is a video that we've created, uh, and you can find it on our website. And really, it, it kind of tells the story because, you know, a child's up in his bedroom, he's on an iPad, playing away, he gets some friend requests, he gets some messages, contact from people he doesn't know. And, you know, children being children, they want to reach out to people, they want friends. And so, of course, you know, he, he, he assumes that, you know, that it's above board, that it's someone he can trust, of course, goes down then to open the door and, and finds, you know, actually that the people who are coming around and are contacting him are not, in fact, children, of course. Mm. And so, you know, this is kind of the danger of not having uh, norms and expectations around, you know, when children go online, like where they go online, you know, can parents see what they're doing? Can parents hear what kind of content they're accessing? And this is, again, you know, just about applying these same rules in the offline and the online world, because again, you would never send your child off with a stranger. Down the street. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yes, absolutely. You know, if a child uh, said, "Oh, someone stopped me in the street and asked me for a photograph," you'd be horrified. But you know, we all know how easy it is to 
to send a photograph, be, be it accidentally or on purpose, you know, via a smartphone or via a tablet. So we've got to kind of apply these same rules in offline and online world. But when, when you spoke with the children, Philip, are they aware of the dangers of chatting or gaming with strangers? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we, we survey the children anonymously just to protect their identity, obviously. But, you know, I think children are aware, you know, they cover these kind of things, you know, the classic stranger danger. But I think what's, what's really um, different about the online world is a lot of strangers, you know, are not trying to contact children to necessarily meet up with them in the online uh, in the offline world. What they're trying to do, obviously, is to develop a relationship with them and then very quickly you know, what we find is that they're asking children to share photographs and mm. videos of them. And obviously they're generating a lot of this kind of problematic material through these kind of channels. So, you know, we're not trying to to scaremonger. We're not trying to, to scare parents or anything like that. But what we're saying is that, you know, it, we've got to be aware of these dangers. And to that end, you know, with the Examiner newspaper, what we've done is actually created... Um, a digital parenting booklet with the help of the National Parents Council, and that's actually part of the same rules apply campaign as well. And in there for parents, and we know that a lot of parents feel overwhelmed. It seems like a scary world. It seems like a world that you know is very much for children and young people, and perhaps we don't understand it. But through that digital parenting booklet, what we're doing is we're giving advice, we're giving access to a lot of free resources to parents and carers and guardians and teachers who can then you know, develop their skills and make sure that they're better protecting their children and young people when they go online. Well done, well done. And was there a difference between boys and girls and their online use? Yeah, sometimes we find certainly with with boys, particularly in this age group, it tends to be more, they're focused perhaps more on gaming. Um, And we find that with the girls, they're they're looking more perhaps at, you know, apps like Instagram and and increasingly, obviously, now TikTok being more more popular ones. So we do find that gender breakdown. But what we also then say to parents, you know, regardless of what apps and obviously some apps will come and go as well in terms of popularity. But really, the messaging has got to be the same. You know, understand what your children are doing and apply those same rules to their offline and their online world. And then talking on an ongoing basis with children and young people about what they're doing online. You know, finding out what's popular, finding out what everyone else at school is doing uh, and understanding that. And then, of course, if that dialogue is open in the first place, when children do encounter problematic material or potentially harmful content or get themselves into trouble, uh, they're more uh, more willing, perhaps, to come to that trusted adult and tell them and ask them for help. And is is that the problem, uh, Philip? Are some young people afraid to share with parents what they've seen online for fear that they themselves will get into trouble? Yeah, I think so. You know, obviously we see there that some children, you know, um, are worried that they don't want their parents to know about this kind of thing. And that's normal. I think, you know, what, you know, even as a teacher myself in the past, sometimes kids would come across content even in the classroom, you know, and they would be worried perhaps that they, that you would think that they had been looking for that. And obviously the Internet being the Internet, you know, algorithms are working away in the background. Things are popping up there. Um, and you're going to come across that content either way. And I think for children and young people, particularly younger children, what they're worried about is losing that access to the online world. So, again, that open and trusting dialogue will really help, uh, you know, allay those fears. And so children know, like, if I come and say something to my trusted adult, I know immediately the reaction's not going to be, oh, right, that's it. You know, we're switching off the Internet. I'm taking that phone. I'm taking that device. Because, you know, as they go through their online lives, they're always going to encounter this kind of content and things that might upset them. And so it's really about developing those skills and that resilience to to understand how to deal with that when they do come across that rather than trying to switch it off and hide 
them from it, uh, you know, altogether, which of course is not really a realistic thing to do. And when you when you were were surveying the kids, d- did many of them feel that they spend too much time online? Yeah, we from the children that we surveyed, you know, fifty percent reported, and obviously this is self-reporting, but they did say that they spend too much online. So you know, again, we it's can we can. Pr- yeah, we can perhaps, you know, we can perhaps sort of surmise that maybe some of them are like, well, I don't want to say I spend too much time online. Yeah, so yeah. That figure, figure may even be higher, you know. So it's good that kids are at least aware of that. But again, you know, that's where the digital parenting comes in, you know, like, and also thinking about that time that's spent online. How is it being spent? Is it being spent, you know, just selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Randomly scrolling through videos or, you know, watching kind of throwaway content. Or is it being spent, you know, working on like an art project or collaborating or being part of a group or something like that. So I think also, you know, the focus has got to be on that quality of online time and not just fixating on the quantity as well. Yeah. And and parents have a role there as well. How often do you see entire families out and everyone's got their head buried in a in a device? Absolutely. And again, you know, part of the same rules apply campaign is this is this push for parents to not only be aware of these dangers, but also I think, you know, it's very it's easy to say it and perhaps harder to do it. So as adults, like we've got to model that behavior, um, you know, that we would expect from kids. And again, to use the analogy of the online and the offline world, you know, something like driving, for example, you know, we we make sure kids uh, have a license. We make sure they get lessons. <laughs> we make sure they have insurance and all these things. And so, when it comes to the online world, you know, we've got to do exactly the same thing. And similarly, we've got to model and show that kind of online interact interaction, that online behaviour, and those habits around the online world that we expect to see in children and young people. Do Philip, what about gaming and social media platforms? Do they have a role to play? Yes, they absolutely do. You know, one of the one of the reasons why we launch uh, awareness campaigns like Same Rules Apply is, is simply to also, you know, 
increase this awareness of the roles that everyone has to play. You know, the government has a role to play. We're delighted to see the online social media regulation bill coming in. But also then, you know, we, we want to see uh, social media companies and internet service providers stepping up, making sure that when their apps are going out there, that they're ethically designed, you know, that they're set uh, to private by default so that, you know, if children are under 13, that they're not, they are accessing these apps, but they're not instantly, perhaps often not, uh, without their knowledge, sharing with a much wider audience than they expected. Uh, you know, we want uh, tougher regulations and restrictions around age verification. You know, we know that over 80% of 8 to 12-year-olds have their own social media accounts, and yet all social media apps, the minimum age restriction is at least 13. So at the moment, that age verification is simply not working. Yeah. So I think everyone has a part to play yeah. um, in, in protecting children and young people online. Because I read with interest that France is going to become the first country to introduce you now it's a digital certificate for anybody wanting to seek online pornography uh, to prove that they're not on underage. Uh, because, you know, up, uh, now all people have to do, are you over 18? And you click a, bo- a button, but they're putting in a digital certificate. Yeah, I think any any movements in, in the direction of, of tightening up the access to this kind of content, you know, the Internet in itself was not designed for children. And yet we know children and young people are on there. So I think, you know, all kind of developments that are moving towards, uh, you know, protecting children and young people uh, and making sure that at least it may never be possible to make it completely watertight. You know, the Internet itself and the online world is always evolving. But if we can do anything to mitigate and, and reduce the risk and the harm that potentially is caused to children and young people by coming across content that's not designed for their age group, then it's got to be, uh, you know, a positive development. OK, so your main message, I mean, for parents um, and guardians, so we, we, we all need to monitor what young people are accessing, accessing and viewing online. I mean, in the good old days, the computer was in the living room. And I remember doing, you know, all the interviews about that, making sure that you're in the room where the computer is. But now they're all up in their bedrooms with their handheld devices. Exactly, yeah, and, and I mean that's that's a, that's a good start. You know, have the devices um, in a in a central area, or make sure they're used in a central area. Certainly, get them charging uh, in a central area. Don't send them up to the bedroom. And, and really, the main message of our campaign is is simply same rules apply. You know, online or offline, apply those same rules that you apply to the offline parenting of children. Be it going to school, going to the park, coming home, uh, you know, learning to swim learning to drive, take those same rules and that same common sense approach and apply it to the online world. Don't expose them to potential harms and risks that they don't really need to be exposed to with a little bit of extra supervision, a little bit of extra monitoring when it comes to going online. OK, uh, Philip Arneal of CyberSafe uh, Kids, which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, resource. You really are fantastic. Uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks a lot. Uh, good morning to you. 0818-103-103. Somebody says, uh, Patricia, children should be spending more time with family and chatting with family, not online. I was brought up in an era without technology and I'm delighted to say I can communicate effectively. We are currently living in wonderful multicultural communities and it's always good to hear about events organised to share the diversity that now exists all over this beautiful country and what better way than through food. To chat about an event that will be held on the last Sunday of the month in Ahada Community Centre, I'm joined by Queenie Kalma O'Reardon. Good morning to Queenie. Hi Patricia. You're very welcome to the programme. You're calling Thank this you. uh, event, this food fair, Flavours. Describe to us what's planned for the day. It's a multicultural community food fair 
uh, in our uh, community, in the community of Ahada. So, so far we have seven uh, countries represented by members of our community. So it's, uh, it's a diverse uh, flavors to be served that day. We have South Africa, the Philippines, Thailand, the Middle East, Brazil, USA, Singapore. All you got to do is bring your appetite. <laughs> so the idea is, and the, are these all people who are living in the community of Ahada? Uh, one of them is a South, most of them are in Ahada. Actually, all of them are in are Ahada. They? Okay. They are in Ahada. Others have lived in a particular country they uh, will represent for about 20 years, 10 years, love the flavors of that country, adapted it, and they have perfected it. So, we have, uh, so you've asked we people, have, uh, you, so, so, so the people cooking the food, you've asked them to just bring along whatever they think represents their country. Yes, yes. Uh, we have a lady, uh, the wonderful Corrine Austin. Uh, she is originally from uh, South Africa. She is a chef. She's the owner of uh, Corrine's Kitchen. And she is going to serve uh, authentic South African street food. And then for people attending, you say, you say they just bring along their appetites. Yes. There's no entrance fee. Oh. There's no entrance fee. Just come and get to know our community. On top of that, Patricia, we also have um, well-loved local Ahada talent who will be sharing their time and their talent with us. One of them is a wonderful Caroline Sweeney, a musician, a singer, a soloist, she will be entertaining us during the event. There will be Irish dancers, young Irish dancers, um, local uh, favorites that we have in our area. We have a little kitty corner for the little ones and tables where we can sit down with others to share. Sounds uh, the terrific. Food. It's it yes. really, really sounds terrific. Will some of the people share the recipes? You know, if, if you somebody really falls in love with a particular food, will they be kind enough to share recipes? Absolutely. <laughs> that is what we encourage. That is what we encourage in community initiatives like this by connecting with others through food. And what better way than to actually encourage people to try my food and please try it at home. And if you love it, Serve it with the people you love. And when people come to live in Ireland, uh, Queenie, can they sometimes find it hard to get the ingredients that they need to make a traditional meal? Oh, wow. You're, you are actually talking to me directly there because um, um, I am missing a lot of my mom's cooking. I am missing a lot of my mom's cooking, the flavours. But really, you can replicate you can find substitute. Just go out there, ask around, sample. We have them here. Yeah, we have them here. You'll find. You you'll find. So yeah. Explore. Yeah, and yes. you'll find something yes. that can substitute. And where were you originally from, Queenie? Ah, uh, I was uh, born. I was born and raised, educated in the Philippines, educated in America, lived in the UK, and now Ireland is home. And how long has, Ard has Ireland been home? Oh, only about uh, a little over a year. Oh, you're, you're relatively yeah. new. You're re and yes. and what, what brought you to Cork? Was it work or? 
Oh, it's my husband. Ah. It's my husband and family. He is originally from here. Uh, his uh, family and his uh, only brother uh, live here. And what better way to raise our children than to be close with uh, our family. And you've picked a beautiful part of the world as, as well. East, yes. East Cork is, is, is gorgeous. And, and for yes, people yes. who now call, like your good self, Queenie, who now call Cork a home, there's something special about food and tastes that remind you of your childhood and remind you of your family at home. Yes, yes. Um, you know, the first thing that really um, touched me about moving here is the warm and welcoming nature of Irish people. I have never greeted people as often as I have here uh, during a morning walk. I have never waved at people as often <laughs> as, as, my, as I have done here in my morning walks. They're just so approachable, so welcoming. But it's nice to be reminded of where you came from as well, through food. Absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, people are willing to open that part of themselves, share it with you. Just all they ask is a little bit of an open mind and just the willingness to share. Will you be cooking on the day, Queenie? Oh, I'd love to, but I'm sorry. I'm going to eat. <laughs> I am going to eat. I'm going to bring my takeaway boxes and have all these food for days with me. OK, <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> certainly going organised. That, that, that's for sure. OK, so it's on in Ahada Community Centre. It's Sunday the 26th. So that's the last Sunday in uh, February. And what time yes. is the event on? 11 to 3. 11 to 3. Please come around and enjoy our food, meet people and uh, also enjoy the entertainment from from our local talents here in Ahada. We look forward to seeing you there too, Patricia, if okay, you can. I can. I'm telling you, if I'm free, I'm certainly all roads that lead to, to Ahada and I, w I won't eat for please. 24 hours beforehand, so I'll be good and hungry going. <laughs> please, okay. Please. Yeah, yeah. okay, listen, well done. It's a, it's a terrific initiative. We wish you luck with it, uh, Queenie. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for this chance to share this news. Thank you. Thank you very Good much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, Queenie Kalma O'Weirden there from uh, Ahada, Ahada Community Centre. Mark that one in your diary for a multicultural community food fair. It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic uh, day. We wish everybody luck with it. I was wondering, would somebody text or WhatsApp in about this? And it's uh, uh, Sarah is the first one in saying, Patricia, have you heard what they're trying to do in England in that they're trying to change the gender of God and stop saying God is a man? Is that for real or is it an April Fool's Day joke? It's not. It's actually, it's the Church of England they're considering whether to stop referring to God as he. This is after priests asked to be allowed to use a gender neutral term instead. The church says it will now launch a new project on the matter in the spring to decide whether to propose changes or not. Now, any potential alterations uh, would mark out obviously a departure from traditional Jewish and Christian teachings which have dated back millennia at this stage. It obviously would have to be approved by the Synod of the Church of England and that's the church's decision-making uh, body. And it is the Right Reverend Michael Ip 
Grave. He's Bishop of Lynchfield and he's Vice Chair of the Liturgical Commission, which would be responsible if they decide to decide that God isn't a man, uh, said that the church has been exploring the use of gendered language in relation to God. And they've actually, he said, been doing it for several years. So it isn't something just because there's a lot of talk about uh, gender neutral terms in recent years. He says this discussion has been going on within the uh, within the Church of England for several years. It doesn't say like how many, but he says several years. He said after some dialogue between the two commissions in this area, he said a new joint project on gender language would begin in the spring. Now the specifics of that particular pro- project are yet uh, are unclear, but of course the soon as that went public that the, the the Church of England is considering to allow God to be referred in a gender neutral term you obviously have people who are very very much uh, opposed uh, to this. Um, I read a, one conservative critic hitting out straight away the possibility of uh, changes was in particular uh, saying what would happen would it, it's unclear actually at this stage what how they would replace the term our father in the Lord's Prayer. So there's a reverend Dr. Ian Paul, he uh, said that if they did decide to change it to a gender neutral term, he said it would represent an abandonment of the church's own doctrine. He said the fact that God is called father can't be substituted by mother without changing the meaning. He said, nor could it be a gender neutral to parent without losing the meaning and the loss of the meaning. He said fathers and mothers are not interchangeable and they relate to their offspring in different ways. So he's very much against it. And the spokesperson for the Church of England said it's nothing new. Christians have recognised since ancient times that God is neither male or female. Yet the variety of ways of dressing and describing God found in scripture has always been reflected in the uh, worship. Now, they, they say at this stage there's absolutely no plans to abolish our substantially revised current authorised liturgies uh, and they, if they were to do it there would be extensive legislation but they're openly saying that within the Church of England, this, yes they are they are going to open up the debate and uh, uh, as to whether to stop referring to God as he and instead use a gender neutral term. So I'm assuming the gender neutral term would be parent, would it, rather than father? Uh, so we will watch this with great interest. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. We are looking for gardening questions, please, because Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, he joins us in the next hour. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, I mentioned before news that the Church of England is considering whether to stop referring to God as he after priests asked to be, uh, the priests in in the Church of England are asked, uh, can they use a gender neutral term instead? And I don't know if that's what prompted uh, John O'Donovan's call or not, but um, John has contacted the programme. Good afternoon to you, John. Afternoon, Patricia. Nice to talk to you. And good to talk to you as well. You you think there's a chipping away of Christianity? I do. I mean, I, I would consider this uh, contribution by the Church of England as bordering on the absolute ridiculous. I mean, uh, and to me, when the roundabout way, what it does is it actually contributes to homophobia, which unfortunately is still out there. I, as a Christian, even though my church doesn't agree with it as a Catholic, voted for the same-sex marriage because I believe that living, that living, the people a chance to, and to enjoy their life. 
But they think this, this, this kind of stuff does no good like, to, to that community because, I mean, people, are, again, are going to be saying, here we go again, this is all about the whole gender neutral thing, this is all about the wokeness, whatever. And I'm just fed up of the Christian religion right around the world. And here as well, from within our own doll, I mean, trying to get rid of the prayer before they, they start the meetings in the doll and stuff like that. It's constant chipping away all the time. We have the great religions in the world, the other ones, the Islamic faith, the Judaism, the whole lot. And I never read anything about anyone from outside Patricia or inside those religions trying to chip away at their belief system. But I see it continuously in our own country and right around the world. Christians are prosecuted, they're attacked. We're attacked in our own country here. And, I mean, I'm just about fed up with it. Yeah, but is, the, is that because a lot of people are not practising? I mean, in this country, you know, if you go back 30, 40 years ago, there would have been a lot more people practising their Christianity, particularly through the Catholic uh, Church. But less and more and more people have moved away from, from the church and are not, not practising any religion. Well, I, I think the fact, obviously, look, I mean, people are baptised. You're baptised a Christian. You can't be unbaptised. So, I mean, no matter, a lot of people probably would like to think so, but you can't because it's a sacrament and that's it. But the thing is, look, just because people mightn't attend like they did before, I find a lot of people, when they uh, get on in years, then they kind of drift back to the church, right? I mean, um, even the late 30s, 40s, whatever, 50s and later. But, I mean, just because they don't actually attend doesn't mean that they don't believe that they're not on board with the Christian uh, philosophy, the Christian belief system. But, I mean, like, right around the world, as I said, you see Islam is the fastest-growing religion in the world, and I see Christianity under attack, I mean, morning, noon, and night. I mean, it just seems to be undermined. Yeah, I, I, I was looking up the stats when I, I saw that you were going to bring up that um, Islam is the fastest-growing, and, and you're right. Uh, they say over the next four decades, um, Christianity will remain the largest religious group but by 2050, they reckon Islam will be on par with the number of Christians around the world. Christ- Christianity is still the largest religious group, but by 2050, Islam will equal it. But one of the main reasons why Islam is spreading uh, and why there's an increase in their numbers, I read that m- Muslim women have more children on average than Christian families do. Yeah, well, that's, that's something you have to factor in. I mean, uh, obviously, we... There was a time here, position when we had very large families. I mean, when uh, we couldn't afford a very large families, but the yeah. church intervened and insisted that people had very large families. Exactly, but unfortunately, like I mean, I suppose maybe people in a lot of these countries are willing to accept the lower standard of living, maybe. But here, <clears throat> I mean, trying to even have two children, no. And with crash fees and pay mortgages yeah, and yeah. every listen, other bill listen. coming in the door. I know, but but but, but go back to the, the the Church of England considering um, stopping referred to God as He. Joe is in Kilmallock. He wants to get in on this. Um, good afternoon, Joe. Hello, hello, Patricia. You you think great idea, and the Catholic Church should follow suit. I think the Catholic Church is we're way behind. We're way behind. So we're we're a dead law. We're the only people now that discriminating against women. Sir. We're the only organisation. Rome, Rome don't give a damn about women. I mean, we'd say sex marriage here. Why can't, if a priest have, have, have go, go out and meet, meet a female partner, he's thrown out of the church. So you, you, want, see, you want female priests? I want female priests. Yeah. And the sooner the better, because the churches are closing. And there's nobody joining the churches. And, no, and the only people to blame are not the people going in the door. It's the people coming out. It's the, it's the people over in the Vatican. 
with 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 a pope and having that too. So he don't even speak English. So he would not even give would nobody understand what he's saying. <laughs> well, a lot a lot of Catholics don't speak English either, uh, Joe. That's well, that that really has nothing to do with it. But but but, but he is he is very much against uh, women priests. John, what's your view on women priests? Is a Catholic well, I, church? I, I would be one hundred percent on board with. Um, Getting rid of celibacy overnight, I would also be 100% on board of having women priests. I see no problem with that whatsoever, right? But what annoys me is this kind of ridiculous carry-on that is no promoters against that, that God should be gender neutral, like you mean. That's just bordering on the ridiculous. But you, but but when you say that that you think that that will instill more homophobia, I I I I, I can't quite understand your logic on that. Well, it, it is because I think that people think that, look, here we go again. You know what I mean? I've had many people say no <clears throat> that when they had the referendum for the same-sex marriage and just passed, and then you see a load of other stuff, and, you know, there's objections to this, there's objections to this, this isn't uh, gender-neutral, this isn't gender-neutral. I mean, people have, I've had many people say, Patricia, like, I mean, I mean, what more do people want? You know what I mean? But the younger, the younger, if you want to encourage the younger generation back into the churches, then, you know, they are very much a generation that believes in new, gender neutral terms. Maybe well, what the Catholic, maybe what the Church of England, because seemingly they've been discussing it for several years. Maybe they also have a decline in the number of people attending as the Catholic Church. And maybe they're trying to do something to be more inclusive well, well, of like the younger it, generation. Definitely, if, if you... Uh, allowed the, the priests, I mean, to, to marry, I think there would be uh, a lot more people join up because I always was of the belief, Patricia, that it was, I, I, I describe it as inhumane to ex, uh, expect a man to take a vow of celibacy or a woman for the rest of their life, like you I mean. We've only got one life to live and I found it deeply disturbing and I always believed that the priest should be married. Like, I would have no problem going to Mass where there was a woman saying Mass whatsoever. I mean, mm. we're born, we're born, we're, it takes two, I mean, to, to, to bring a child into the world, but we are born now of woman. So what would, what would the problem be with a woman saying Mass? And Joe, do you think it would, if we did have women priests, do you think I, be, I believe that if we were women priests, that we'd have no problem in, in getting people to, the, to, 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 to join the church. To come back into the church. To come back into the church and bring young people with them because mm. they, it, to be more modern. Would you have yeah. married priests? Oh, yes. Yeah. You, you I mean, they should, they should, I mean, with the same sex marriage, they should, of course they should. Yeah. They're, they're human beings the same as, the same as everybody else. Okay. That, 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 that's one thing, Patricia, like that the church won't be done in years. The girls, like we'll say, two males now, like you mean, a priest and having a partner. That way, that, 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 they won't change that rule, like you mean. That's, that, that, that's a given anyway. But what annoys me about it, as I say, you have the great religions in the world and nobody's chipping from within or from the outside at those religions. We're just constantly chip, chip, drip, drip against Christianity all the same. OK, all right. Listen, gentlemen, thank you and for what, that. What, you. About, what about the saying that God could be a Jew? So are we, are we the wrong religion? Yeah. Well, well, he was born Jewish. Well, there yeah. you are. Yeah. So are, are we the wrong religion? John, maybe, are you maybe, following maybe. the wrong religion? Well, well I mean, it's, it's, it's all interconnected. Like, because one, like, the, the Christianity came, obviously. Like, I mean, Jesus was a Jew. He's quite right there. But, I mean, like, this is how it was born. This is how we evolved and how we came about. And it is what we have at the moment. And there's nothing wrong with the message. So why change it? 
Okay, okay. Listen, we leave it there, gentlemen. Thank you for okay, that. Thank Thanks, you. Uh, John O'Donovan in the city and uh, Joe uh, joining us from Kilmallock. Our lines are open at 0818-103-103. We are looking for gardening questions. I can see a number coming in by text. Uh, keep those coming as well. 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And good luck to everybody involved with the, the students of St. Mary's Secondary School. They're performing their musical Heartbreak Hotel. It is opening uh, tonight and runs through until Friday. Tickets are available from the school on 022 21998. Trevor Sexton and Joe O'Donnell are playing in Gagan Community Hall. Next, uh, not, not next Friday. It's the Friday the twenty fourth. Tickets are priced at twenty euro, and it's suggested that it would make a lovely Valentine's gift for next week, while also supporting Gagan Community Hall. If you have a problem with eating, you're welcome to join those who have found a solution to this common problem of over or uh, under eating by contacting Overeaters Anonymous. Their number is 086 3526 and the. Kayla Men's Mallow Men's Shed Group. They meet every Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays between 2 and 5 in the afternoon. So they're meeting again today. It's at the rear of La Kayla Centre and new members are particularly welcome. And staying on Men's Shed, an information meeting for a Men's Shed in Rathgormick will be held in the local community hall. That's happening tomorrow morning at half past 11. All are welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMI. Jenny has contacted us by text. She wants to give a gold medal for service to the Motor Tax Office in Cork for service to their customers. She sent away her details on Thursday of last week and she had her new disc in the post on Monday morning. Fabulous service, uh, says Jenny. Well done. And it's good to call out when service is good. Yeah, and that system does seem to work uh, really well. Uh, anytime I've had to interact with the motor tax office, be it online or through the post, it seems to be very, very efficient. So it's good to call it out, Jenny. Thank you uh, for that. And then somebody else was on to say, as an animal lover, there is something that is really bothering this particular texture. It's goats that are grazing on the side of the road at the Ballybeg Bends, that's on the road between Mallow and Bottevance. This listener is fearful it could cause an accident or some of the goats could get hurt. Can somebody do something about it? Does anybody know about goats? Great. I mean, if they're wild goats, I don't even know who, who you should contact. They hardly belong to somebody or do they? Anybody in that area, can you tell us about goats that are grazing on the side of the road at the Ballybeg Bends? And anyone who doesn't know that area, it's a series of bends on the road from Mallow to Bottevin and quite a dangerous series of bends. So to anybody driving it who's not aware that there's goats grazing on the side of the road, be careful. But does anybody know who those goats belong to? And are they wild goats? If anybody can help us with that, 0818. 103103 and our discussion about the church and John in the city is saying Christianity has been chipped away Joe and Kilmallock says you know bring on change because if you bring on change within the Catholic Church it might have more people go back into the church uh, Martin in Formoy says the reason nobody goes to Mass or church anymore is the simple fact that people are copping on it's all false says uh, Martin as for women priests well why not nobody believes anymore as says Martin, who adds, I certainly don't. Well, that's you, Martin, on your own. There are other people who very much believe uh, in 
in, in the Catholic Church and in Christianity but as they say each to their own Hi Patricia it's modern to be against the Catholic Church at the moment but yet you will have young couples using it for baptism for First Holy Communion for confirmation and for marriages if it suits them I feel there should be no mass for those people who do not attend all of the other sacraments as well and I, I still remember being at a First Holy Communion mass a couple of years ago and the priest actually on the altar rails saying to the children, it was a Saturday Mass, saying to the children, you know, this is your first Holy Communion. Let tomorrow, Sunday, be your second Holy Communion. And, you know, please come back to Mass tomorrow. And there was a special, he was saying the 11 o'clock Mass in the morning was going to be a special one for the children who had made their communion. And if they, you know, wanted to come along, the girls in their dresses, the boys in their little outfits with their rosettes, they'd get a very uh, special welcome. And then at the end of the Mass, you know, he said to the parents, you know, you know, you know, great to see a full church today and it was lovely to have your, your children and everybody turned out so well. Please don't wait until their confirmation to come back. And the family member who I was with at the First Holy Communion Mass took their little fella along to the 11 o'clock Mass the following day and only four children showed up and they said their heart bled for the, for the, for the priest because he'd made such a big push and effort to say, please come uh, tomorrow. Now, I know people will say, oh, maybe the families had something on. I, I appreciate that. But out of the large number that made their communion, I thought only four uh, showing up was, was really almost like a kick in the teeth for the priest. And it seems many of them won't be going back into the church until their confirmation. So that's been going on certainly for quite some time. Now, on this whole... God and the gender neutral and should we change uh, the, what the Church of England are looking into. Uh, somebody says the whole gender neutral thing is, and I can't use that word on air, but basically somebody doesn't believe in gender neutral. It is a step too far, is nothing sacred anymore. This listener says, I am Catholic and I am proud of it. OK, that's some of your calls coming in on on that uh, topic and then on home helps that we spoke about yesterday on the programme Mary and Bantry reckons there's a little bit of confusion out there when we're talking about home helps and part of the problem that got raised yesterday particularly from home helps that were contacting us is that they're not they're not getting paid enough for the job that they are doing Mary reckons that there is a bit of a mix up when it comes to home helps pay Mary said that people who work in the private sector she feels that section of home helps are, are not paid well but she said those that work for the HSC in the public sector are certainly paid more because well I know those in the private sector as far as I know don't get the fuel allowance I think the ones in the HSC are they getting fuel allowance now um, travelling expenses because going from one house to the other I mean one of our home helps yesterday explained by the time she takes out the fuel her petrol money that she's putting into her car to work as uh, home care support you know at the end of the week she said when she breaks it down she, she probably isn't even working for 10 euro an hour uh, but Mary said there's a difference in the rate of pay and the rate of expenses between those that work in the private sector and those that work in the public uh, sector thank you for that Mary to 0818 103 103 and just to give a further heads up because this is something we've been touching on and I've been keeping an eye on and this is to do with medicine shortages because we've been getting calls um, certainly it started the back end of last year but we're already getting them this year about people saying that there's problems with some of their medicines that are prescribed by their GP 
And now it seems medicines to control high blood pressure and a certain cholesterol medicine are among a growing number of drugs in short supply. Also, there's a commonly used nasal spray products that's going into short supply and some skin treatments. This is the very latest data that is out. Now, they have this what's called the chronic shortage of medicines list, and it it really is showing no sign of abating. Uh, There's now a record number of 239 drugs on that list. The last time I took a look at the numbers, it was at a record number. That's gone even higher, 239 that are now absent from our shelves when you go into the pharmacy. And including in that list is 13 that is on the World Health Organization's critical list. So it isn't something that's just pertaining to uh, Ireland. But a big worry at the moment now is with the hay fever season coming later in the spring, the shortage of some nasal sprays is going to be a concern. And the number of medicines in short supply has increased by alarming 34% and that's only since last October. Now the medicines that they're now currently working, uh, that they're worried about and are in short supply um, across multiple suppliers just in the past week include one particular treatment for high cholesterol and also there's another particular treatment for high blood pressure. We know there's an ongoing issue with some antibiotics over-the-counter cough medicine still proving to be a bit of uh, a problem and they are continuing to remain problematic. Now, the issue is caused, it's, it really is multifaceted uh, and there's many factors within the chain, such as, for example, there's a shortage in raw materials. Transport costs have actually uh, gone up. There are geopolitical factors. We have the war in Ukraine. And then there's also a surge, a surge in demand for certain medicines. That would explain, for example, the antibiotics. It would exam- explain the cough medicine. And that happens, you know, seasonally. But we've never seen such short supply as we are seeing uh, this year. And um, what has changed is within this present crisis has really brought home to people that if you depend on highly globalised complex supply chains as soon as something goes wrong it then is going to impact have a knock-on effect and it's going to cause shortages pricing isn't the only problem but it is part of the issue the link is there in terms of the effect on supply security you've got low margins for example on uh, medicines and that's changed the structure of the supply chain um, and it's making some of the medicines Uh, more vulnerable because some countries have decided to pay more for medicines and then when the medicines become available obviously the pharmaceutical company selling them are going to give to the person who's going to pay the most. I know for example that Portugal recently opted to increase medicine prices by 5% because they were having a medicine supply problem so they decided to pay more so that they could get medicines into their country and then as I say it's multifaceted. There's there's things that I hadn't even thought about. Packaging uh, things and containers like syringes for example and a lot of our medicines come in bubble wrap or come in plastic devices um, you know before they leave the pharmaceutical uh, company there's been problems in China with production that's having a knock on uh, effect and and the manufacturing of our medicines is complicated so obviously undoubtedly there'll be supply chain reasons for some of our medicines uh, shortages and you know it's going to continue for quite some time overheads are going up we know price of electricity has gone up price of gas has gone up uh, everywhere you've still got this ongoing issue with the war in Ukraine and then so it isn't just uh, commercial and pricing reasons but they would be uh, some of them now our own minister for 
Uh, Health Stephen Donnelly was asked about this. He's kind of given a glimmer of hope. He's insisting that no company that he's been dealing with has cited pricing as a reason for current uh, product shortages. And he has also suggested that there are suitable product alternatives. However, when you speak to pharmacists, they are warning that parent, patients are starting to get worried. Patients are starting to get frustrated over having to make do with what some pharmacists are saying is a patchwork of alternatives. And we've certainly heard that from some of our listeners who, when they go into the chemist, they normally get a particularly brand, a particular brand of a drug. Suddenly the pharmacist is saying, well, that particular brand is in short supply, but I can offer you this, maybe a generic version. And not everybody is happy with that. So while there may always be an alternative, not everybody is happy with the alternative even though we've spoken with pharmacists who tell us it is like for like but that doesn't sit very well with everybody but it's an ongoing problem and the current record now is 239 drugs that are deemed chronic in chronic shortage supply 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. With loads of questions coming in, we'll keep our fingers crossed and get through as many of them as we can. Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener.com, uh, joining me on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Well, I was looking at you on your uh, on your Facebook page. You're doing consultations now. People can contact you. I am. I'm doing them online. So uh, there's a, there's only a finite well there's only a finite amount you can get to online as well. But there's only a finite amount you can get to um uh, in person to see the gardens. So a lot of people had ask had been asking would I do online consultations. So so I am. I'm doing it now. So that's like if you want advice on your garden, particularly in terms of design. And you want to know where to start. Uh, so not everybody wants to go to the expense or maybe it doesn't warrant the expense of a full blown design. So maybe a chat through would be enough or maybe it's the first step in the design process. Or even if, if people want to ring and we put away an hour and we kind of go through any questions they have in their existing garden. Well so done. you can well find done. out all about it anyway on the, the irishgardener.com. You'll see us. OK, OK, good luck with that. OK, let's get straight into questions. Anne in Fomoy was on uh, and wants to know, I've never heard of these before. She wants to know, can she divide Noreen's bulbs? What are, what are Noreen's? Uh, Ne- nearly noreens they're not noreens they're nereens I imagine nereens, okay. so you you do know them I'm sure you know them Trish they're a lovely pink flowering bulb uh, they flower they're lovely because they flower kind of at the end of the summer really into the autumn they've been flower right into December um, so the, what, what, sorry about all that what, what was she asking can you divide uh, when, them when, yeah can she divide them Yes, she can. That is, that's how we kind of propagate all bulbs is by dividing. So in the same way that you would with daffodils or anything like that, you'd uh, d- divide the noreens. So you'd lift them. Where are we now? March. Yeah, you'd lift them at this time of the year. Or sorry, we're February. I'm a month ahead of myself. Lift, lift them at this time of the year. Um, uh, and you could plant them out again straight away. Actually, you don't need to leave them out of the ground. Just divide them and replant them. But yeah, you could do that. Absolutely. And it's a great way of bulking up the numbers. OK, that was Man and Fomoy who also wants to know. And there's a couple of people asking the same question. The best time to put down lawn gold. The the lawn gold works. Uh, as a soil, I think it's from memory. The soil temperature has to be nine or 10 degrees. Now, it's probably not far off that at the moment. But normally the advice would be to wait till early March. So I would give it another few weeks and... 
uh, at the same time, because nature, you know, it, it doesn't behave itself all the time. So do pay attention to the to the temperature. But if it's if it's a good warm March, then you should be fine from March on. Absolutely. Hi, Peter. I am rewilding my lawn again this year. Any advice before the season starts? I just cut the pathways through it last year and I set a patch of wild flowers in a patch of soil in the middle. And then I strimmed and removed the grass early in October. What do I need to be doing this year? Do you know what? If you're just rewilding, uh, Trish, it, the less is more. You do, do nothing. Let it go wild. Let let nature take over and let nature see what species she's going to throw up. So it, it really is a case of, of less is more. Strim the paths, absolutely. If you want to, to pass through it, cut them. Um, cutting it down in, in October was great. And ideally, when you cut them, the, the, when you strim it, if you like, in, in September, October, ideally, you'd leave those trimmings on the on the ground just for a few weeks so the seeds can go back into the soil and then remove them. So I'm not sure if she did or not, um, but whether or which it's not the end of the world. Uh, but really, yeah, if you put wildflower seed in there, but even if you just stop cutting it, and this applies to every grass area, if we just stop cutting it, uh, you'd be amazed to see uh, what species are in there. Okay, Mike in Bantry has something I think is it is it pronounced ecumen? It got burnt during ecumen. It got burnt during the last frost. Will it recover? Or Mike says, will I just get a new plant altogether? You know, it's that that is one of time will tell, Trish. So, so echiums are native to South Africa. They they're a stunning plant. They are hardy in Ireland to a degree. So. Uh, when they do get hit with the frost, it really is a question of, of wait and see. Like they do, they will go quite brown and nearly black from the frost. Um, but I, I can't say, unfortunately. Now, the only thing is that we didn't really, we did have a cold spell. We had a couple of cold spells this winter so far. It's not over yet, of course. Um, uh, so, but they weren't prolonged. So like most plants can cope with very low temperatures if it's just for a day or two. But if it, the, the damage occurs, if it's for longer than that. So ho- I, I would keep my fingers crossed. I'd be quite optimistic that it should be OK. But honestly, I, I, there's not a way of knowing un, until the wait and see if it comes back or not, comes back into growth or it's not. Back to the patience of a gardener. And yeah, uh, yeah. Helena says, hi, question for Peter, please. Is it too late to trim back bushes like red robin and zalias and other bushes because they've started to grow again? No, it's not too late. They have started to grow because it is mild. It is quite mild for the time of the year. Uh, so you're sacrificing a small bit of the growth. So it's kind of a balancing act at this time of the year, Trish, because when you cut them back, you're promoting more new growth. And then if we do get a frost, which is very, very likely still in, in February and March, uh, that new growth is, is susceptible to, it's very tender, so it's going to be vulnerable to frost damage. But I wouldn't be too worried about that because frost damage, you know, at this end of the year coming into the spring should be quite superficial. So I would err on the side of cutting it back. You're certainly not too late. Um, and then, of course, from later on in March onwards, it, it's illegal to cut back hedgerows and things like that anyway because of wildlife nesting. So I would get it cut back any time between now and the end of February. Hi, Peter. I'm planting a bare root hedge at the moment. Hawthorn, crabapple, hazel, etc. Many of the plants are over two feet high when planted. Should I cut them back? Also, do they need to be supported by stakes and are they in danger from rabbits? Because rabbits are very plentiful where I live. Thanking you very much. Yes, yes and yes are the three short <laughs> answers there, unfortunately. It sounds gorgeous. I love a mixed a mixed native species hedge. Really, really lovely. Uh, and in fact, I'm designing a garden for a lady down in the, the wilds of County Kerry at the moment. And I'm just going through a plant list for her. Uh, and it really is a, a beautiful rural situation. And we're putting in a couple of um, of uh, mixed species hedge there. And I, I can't wait to see it when it's established. But anyway, um, 
so the, the first question, should I prune them back a bit? I kind of, I probably would, yes, to give the, just encourage them to push out from down lower from a young age, right? So yes, is the answer to that. Should they be staked? If they're vulnerable to, if it's windy, if it's an exposed site, I would say probably yes. Now, if you're planting an awful lot of them, you can't obviously stake, well, you could, but it's an awful lot of work to stake every single individual plant. So what you might do is, is put a, a couple of stakes solidly into the ground. And I mean solid because you don't want any movement or you're wasting your time. So put them solidly into the ground, let's say every few metres, run a few lengths of wire, maybe at 30 centimetres and 50 centimetres and, and maybe 70 or 80 centimetres, and then tie the hedges, to, tie the hedging plants to the wire, if you know what I mean. Uh, so that's one way of supporting it. Are they vulnerable to, to rabbit damage? I'm afraid the answer to that is also yes. So what you could do there is you could uh, water the, the hedge plants with the thing called grazers, which is basically a formulation of calcium, uh, which makes them totally unpalatable to rabbits. Now, it's not uh, it's not magic. You don't just put it on once uh, and it'll work. You do need to apply it a few times over a few weeks and let the plant build up its calcium levels. And that makes it totally unpalatable. Very effective in terms of rabbit defense, but it does take a, a bit of time. Uh, the most important thing then, of course, is after that, is now it feels crazy that I'm saying it after we've had five of the wettest months in my memory, but they will need an awful lot of water during this spring and summer. So if we hopefully get a dry summer, you will have to pay attention to watering them. Okay, listeners getting all excited for next June because her daughter's getting married. Well, Peter, what could you suggest? What flowers, be they wild or otherwise, that I can grow for June? Daughter getting married and she wants lots of flowers. So I'm assuming she wants loads of colour in the garden for the photographs. Yeah, I wonder, you might be as well off to, to, to get bedding plants, summer bedding, which will be in full flower in June. You know, without seeing the garden, it's hard to say. So whether we're looking at shrubs or perennials or, or, or bedding. And I think the biggest, the best thing uh, to give impact, and I mean quick impact, like so if you want to plant them, well, not now, it's too early. But if you want a real mass of colour for June, you probably can't look further than be summer bedding plants. So depending on what colour scheme you want and what, what which ones you like, but you could look at things like petunias, lobelia, antirhinums, uh, depending, there's loads, into the garden centre in early May, late April even, uh, and fill up with bedding plants. And that's what's going to give you the best bang for the buck by, by June. Anna has uh, a number of lovely cyclamen plants in pots. She's had them since Christmas. They've all been indoors until now. And she said, actually, they're still flowering. Advice, please, on what to do with them now. Well, depending on which ones they are, they, they, they could be an indoor variety. So the cyclamens that we use for bedding plants, if you like, the kind of Christmas and winter bedding plant cyclamens, uh, I'm going from memory now, but I'm fairly sure the species is Persicum, Cyclamen pers Persica, I think. Um, and it's not really hardy in the Irish climate. Uh, it is in the countries where it's native to. It's native, I think, to the the wildflower, the the rainforest of Madagascar, believe it or not. And I believe they're stunning. I've never been, but I believe they're stunning in the in the wild. Um, but they're not hardy over here. So, and then you have the bigger flowering and the bigger leaf ones, which tend to be the ones that we grow as house plants uh, over winter, and they're certainly not hardy. So. I would say that which the, the cyclamens you have aren't going to, to tolerate our, our outdoors, I'm afraid. So I would keep them growing as a house plant. And if they're still flowering and still doing well indoors, you don't need much advice from me. You're doing it right. Um, or on the side of underwatering, they will droop if they get too dry and they'll have plenty of time to, 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 to recover. So err on the side of underwatering and keep them somewhere kind of with a good amount of sunlight, but it doesn't have to be direct sunlight. OK, and Anna also wants to know about fruit bushes and apple trees. Do you feed them now? Is now the time of the year to do it? Possibly still a bit early, but um, but uh, it, it, on saying that, it's not 
it's not the end of the world if you do it now. You really want to feed them at time of bud burst, which is when the which we're close to now. Of course, it varies every year, but but bud burst is not when the flowers come out, but it's when the leaves emerge from the dormant buds. It's that fabulous time of the year, Trish, when when you can kind of feel the energy yeah. and the life coming back into the landscape. That's when you start feeding them, uh, and I would be feeding them the fruit bushes and things like that with a sulfate of potash or any good kind of organic high potassium food. Even your own homemade compost there or a worm tea. If you have a worm compost or the liquid that comes off it, feed them with that uh, or something like sulfate of potash to promote blooming and then obviously to promote fruiting afterwards. I cannot believe that's called worm tea, that water that comes off of <laughs> You do like your worms, don't uh, you? Uh, hi, uh, <laughs> hi, Peter. Is it OK to cut back hydrangea now and to prune roses? Yes and yes, quite simple. Yeah, the 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 hydrangeas, uh, your the the new leaves. I see them on my own hydrangeas. The new leaves are already coming out uh, on some of them. So yeah, I would cut them back now. Uh, and roses, absolutely. Any time between now and the end of February, cut them back quite hard. Uh, Margaret has flocks and they're covered in moss. Do I have to remove the moss, or can I feed it to outgrow the moss? And will that and will that kill the moss off? Or what will when kill she the moss says. Off? When she says flocks, flocks is a herbaceous perennial, Trish. So what that means is um, it, it, herbaceous is a term that just means it dies back under the ground for the winter. So I'm wondering if we got the right plant because it's all, like you wouldn't see the flocks at this time of the year. Yeah. So if there's moss, if there's moss growing kind of around the, the, the crown of the plant, if you like, around soil level, it should be fine, but it'd probably be no harm just to even just, I wouldn't spray it or feed it or anything like that. I would just go out and with, with my hand, I would just physically remove a bit of the moss. You don't need to remove every last bit of it, but just remove a bit of it just to allow those buds to emerge from under the soil again. But I'd say if it is flux and if that's what the problem is, that it's moss on top of it at the soil surface, I wouldn't be too worried. But just move some of it physically, as I say. Okay, and advice to train a rose for a trellis. Trying to grow a, a rose for a trellis on a wall this year. Do I not prune it back or what do I do? You do prune it back, but without going into too much detail because we'd be here for quite a while. So it, try and just identify, let's say, three main stems of the rose. and So a, a, a healthy climbing rose could have loads and loads of stems. You want to, uh, less is more here. You want to identify, let's say, about three main stems and obviously go with the ones closest to the wall so you're not tying them in a few feet. So identify three that are going in different directions. Ideally, if you like, one left, one right, and one straight ahead. Um, tie them to the trellis. And then every year, all the growth that's coming off those three main stems, uh, cut them back, at this time of the year, in fact, cut them back to about an inch or two from the main stem, if you know what I'm trying to say. Um, and and the, 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 the try and get as much air circulating. No, it's not going to be hugely possible with a climbing rose, but try and get as much air circulating and as li little congestion and crossing branches as you can. So identify your main branches, uh, tie them to the trellis and the side shoots that are coming off it cut them back to about an inch or two of the main stem okay. and you should be okay. Okay, we leave it there. Listen, we'll talk to you again next Wednesday. Peter, thank you for that and have a lovely week. And you look forward to it. Thanks, Take Trish. care. That is Peter Dowdell of the IrishGardener.com. Now, before we wrap it up, just a couple of texts in. Cathy says, uh, Patricia, would you give a shout out to Orla and the staff at the Buttery Cafe in Boerbui. We had a family event at the weekend. We ordered food from there. It was fantastic. Empty plates and very happy guests. <laughs> uh, a local great service, says Cathy. And uh, always good to 
give a local company a bit of a shout out. So went on to everybody in the Buttery Cafe in Bohabui. I mentioned the goats on the, somebody was talking about goats that are grazing on the bends in Ballybeg and Buttervent on the road from Mallard to Buttervent. And it's a road I know and it's a quite a dangerous road. And somebody was saying, you know, who, does anybody know? I, we still can't find out who actually owns the goats. But uh, Mary was on to say, so glad to hear you talking about the goats at the at the Ballybeg bends in Buttervent. They really are so, so uh, dangerous. I have had several frights uh, from them. So please be so careful when you're driving on that road because it does seem to be causing problems for a number of uh, people. And uh, John says, Patricia, would you please announce on your programme that there is a protest against the rising cost of living. It's happening in Charleville next Saturday, the 11th of February, two o'clock in the afternoon. Now it's starting at the graveyard and then marching through the town. And the message from the people who are organising this protest is please shop local, support local jobs, and save local businesses and they also are a pains to point out that this is a non-political protest and that's happening in Charleville next Saturday at two o'clock in the afternoon. Somebody else is wondering do home helps do any cleaning for their clients anymore? As far as I know they don't because they're highly trained when it comes to personal care and looking after the person but I suppose it's up to uh, the individual arrangements that you have with your home help. Okay that's where I have to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We're back to you tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock and Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be back. She's been on a bit of a Christmas break, but she's back with us tomorrow. Until tomorrow at 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Work today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.